Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life. Hello there, listeners. After over two years of recording and 80 plus episodes, I am elated to announce that Enduro Bearings has agreed to become a supporter of the Cycling in Alignment podcast. This is a double win for you, the audience. You have the opportunity to demonstrate your support of the show by making a purchase on the website cycling.endurobearings.com and you get to save some dollars while you trick out your whip. Use the code Colby Podcast to receive a 35% discount on any of Enduro Bearings excellent products. That's Colby Podcast, which is all lowercase and all one word. This includes the excellent XD15 ceramic bottom bracket, which is guaranteed for life. That means it may outlive you because, well, it's inanimate. Enduro also makes headsets, derailleur pulleys, as well as bearings for just about everything that rotates on a bicycle. So use your digits to make the keyboard mudras and head over to cycling.endurobearings.com and upgrade your favorite ride now. And remember, the proper number of bicycles is always N plus one, so think ahead. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Cycling in Alignment, the low-key podcast. Uh, I'm here today with Molly and Sasha, who are amazing artists, and they have painted my Appleman. We also might have some background noise today, so sorry, Joel. My amazing editor will do his best to do what he does, but other than that, y'all get to hear a podcast in real time, organic life. But if there's a car alarm, we will pause, because <laughs> we are at my office, and we get about three of those a day. We also get about three emergency horn backup maneuvers because as it turns out, human beings are really not very good at driving in reverse, even with a modern car with camera on the bumper. So there's that. You saw that while we were waiting for you. Number one is already down. Yeah. (laughs) Drive by feel. Check. (laughs) Drive by feel. (laughs) Found it. Nailed it. Oh, there's the curb. Found the curb. (laughs) I just want to let you guys know. (laughs) So I would love for you both to give us your we'll say 59 second elevator pitch on who you are, and then we'll expand that as appropriate during various moments of conversation. But tell, tell people who you are. Okay. Molly. Um, well, I'm Molly. Um, I... Molly Barron. Molly Barron. First name, last name, young lady. Yes. Thank you. Exactly. I have two names. One is first name and one's the last name. Very good. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have been like painting bikes, I guess, for on and off for like three years now, right? 2019 started. And um, yeah, I got into riding bikes probably when I was like in 2018 or so. And um, since then have just kind of like figured out the whole world of cycling and figured out, you know, that paint Normal factory paint's pretty boring. Um, and apart from that, I'm, I'm also a, a geologist and that's like my day job, so yeah. Okay, <laughs> whoop, that's loud. All right, hold on. Some guy, this neighbor, this, uh, some guy rolling a cart. <laughs> that was probably um, very unrealistic of me to expect that the door open. <laughs> Tried to have the door open 
but it's um, November 1st today as of we're recording and it is like 67 degrees at 10 in the morning already. So it's pretty stunningly nice out there. Not even a tenth of a kilometer an hour of wind. Yeah, the next thing we can have that's lovely is beachfront property out here. It's <laughs> yeah, coming. that's coming. Yeah. We'll just like lower the Colorado Plateau again and we'll have a nice inland sea. Anyway. The only constant is change. <laughs> uh, Sasha. Hi, I'm Sasha. My last name is Coochie. Uh, I'm from Florida. I was born in Key West. Mm -hmm. Have been riding bikes since I was the nice ripe age of like 13, coming from the world of like triathlon and adventure racing and stuff like that. And uh, it always kind of stuck. But Molly and I are both mostly from like science-y backgrounds with probably a lot of hobby art in between. Uh, years and years spent on ceramics and some spray painting type stuff and just general artistic hoo-ha. Um, I try to race as well as I can and train as much as I can. And I always have wanted to be a cyclist and that's kind of how Molly and I found each other through that whole world. And, uh, serendipitously enough ended up, uh, kind of digging into the art aspect of it because we were bored and she, uh, broke her hip, which was yeah. a big, uh, indicating thing or a big catalyst, which you'll hear more about that. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of it. Been riding and racing for a long time and always been involved with the, the industry and the culture and met Colby through a series of twists and turns that led me to him. Um, broken knees and shattered dreams and whatnot. And uh, through that, he was gracious enough to let us grace his bike with some art. So here we are. Well, I feel like it worked out because it was sort of the perfect canvas. It um, was a perfect canvas. Yeah, it was as good as it got. I love right. not having to sand anything down. <laughs> it's really nice. Yeah, yeah. So for context, uh, if you've been listening to my pod for a while and you checked out some of my older web pages on my Appleman road bike, it's a custom carbon road bike made in Minnesota by Matt Appleman. And he does raw carbon. Uh, and when I say raw, I mean actually raw. There's no clear coat on it. There's no sparkles. There's nothing. He just does a carbon inlay for his own graphics, for his name. And he's got his little Apple symbol on the head tube. And so when we talked about or came up with the idea of doing a, some artwork uh, as a project collectively, my contribution to the artwork was a frame that someone else made for me. And then their contribution was all the amazing art. So we're going to unpack the process for that, which there are many cool stories to tell, but I want to know a little more about context. You're both sciencey people. Let's unpack more of the, the non-cycling, non-artistic science sides of things. Molly, you do like some sort of plant wizardry. Uh, rock wizardry. Rock wizardry. Yeah. Ah. So I, I do, um, I work for like a consulting company. I'm a, a geologist and, um, most recently I was down on the Navajo nation, like looking for uranium contamination from the mines there and like going around with a Geiger counter and like hiking up and down cliffs and stuff. Oh boy. So I mostly do like field geology stuff. So yeah. I like leave for a, a block of time and then I get really tired and then I come back and I die a little bit and then I go and work on projects that are not work related. Rejuvenate a little bit, maybe? No. No, you die? <laughs> Don't die. I just gotta like die and, and rebirth into. Okay, so there's regeneration in there somewhere? A little bit, yeah. Okay. All right. The art side definitely, like, while it's tiring in its own way, it's like way rejuvenating for my brain. So, yeah. 
That's an excellent point. What I love about the concept of art is that, well, there's two ways to look at it, like there are with almost anything, but I consider a lot of art to be a form of unbound play. And any form of unbound play, making music, making a doodle, painting a picture with no specific outcome in mind, uh, playing a game, not to win, but to play, right? These types of activities can be regenerative and, and energy building. And I think that's a key concept that a lot of humans sort of miss in their lives in 2022 from what mm -hmm. I've observed, because it's so easy to just do, do, do. It's always about young energy, accomplish, divide, make, destroy, create, do the things, output, Yeah. The point being output. Whereas when you engage in about play, it can feed your soul, right? Stoke the fires. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of what you feel? It's interesting. It's definitely like way more like mentally rigorous to do the artistic stuff. Like Sasha and I will have like a four hour conversation about like where we should put a circle <laughs> on a bike and how, how many millimeters across should it be like eight millimeters or 10 millimeters. And like, it makes a difference. So it's like a lot of it feels like you're like doing math to find the right answer. Um, mm -hmm. So there's like that kind of rigor, but then like, you know, getting lost in some of like the tedious and monotonous tasks is very, very meditative. Like when I was drawing the circles and all your, all the circles there, just mm -hmm. kind of like hours and hours of like, just making circles. circles. <laughs> yeah. And I can get lost in that for sure. I think Terrence McKenna once said, you can find enlightenment either by scrubbing the monastery floor for 22 years, or you can do one hit of DMT. <laughs> Either way, I'll get you there. It's something I kind of butchered the quote probably, but that's the idea. And the denim to that is ultimately you kind of have to do both to get the full picture. That makes sense. Right? Sasha, you got science going on too? Yeah. Um, so I had grown up in the Keys in Florida and had always been um, from a pretty young age, like pretty involved in the natural world, working at wildlife sanctuaries and doing wildlife rescue, working with uh, coral rehabilitation nonprofits and like outdoor summer camps and kind of the whole gambit of things. So going to school, I ended up initially starting in the world of chemical engineering, um, which was <laughs> a very, very big life and tedium. Knowing um, you as well as I do, that's a very left brain enterprise. Yeah, for sure. For Sasha. <laughs> so I, I did that for three years and had wow. like a semester and change to go before I finished that degree and exploded and quit. Yep. No, not going to have it. Tired of being inside. Um, and kind of found the natural world from there. I really got into the world of botany and naturalism and ecology and kind of everything from there and kind of remembered that that was what had catalyzed my interest in science to begin with. Mm. Um, so after like a successful eight or nine year tour of duty in college, finally finished a degree uh, a few years ago in ecology and uh, probably with the prospects of going back for some sort of ethnobotanical study of some sort at some point, mm -hmm. um, because plants are freaking magic, voodoo magic for sure. Agreed. Um, Oh. Incredible stuff. So that was more my background it was kind of a little bit of like super monotonous chemistry tedium followed mm -hmm. by like a world of like naturalism. Um, and of course, like, you know, that was part of the thing with almost being an athlete too, is being able to do that 
solely in places that were like outdoors and like encompassing in such a like beautiful way. You could never go like run in a city and feel satisfied. It was like running up a mountain and being surrounded by the most scientific and magical places in that way. Mm. Um, so, you know, there I think was a lot of art and beauty in and of itself with the type of sciences that I examined. Um, you know, the world is full of mathematical, fractalated, beautiful outputs of growth and soil and tree growth and plants and doing, I mean, it was always wild that way. Um, so that was where I kind of came from. Um, and then I think for both Molly and I, and especially for Molly, um, the art for the bikes kind of became a way to get away, uh, became a method to get away from the tedium of like really professional work. Yeah, um, I would say like, especially like I grew up doing some like art stuff with like solely as hobby, you know, doing drawing, photography, sewing, stuff like that. Um, but then I went to engineering school and, you know, they take a big science paddle and slap the creativity out of you. Um, <laughs> and I think I was always like kind of trying to, in general, like find some artistic stuff like through that. And so, you know, like in, in petrology class, we would, we'd have these thin sections and I would like look at the thin sections under the microscope and just like twirl them under polarized light and like the crazy like fractalness of the minerals like and the color shifts and stuff like that it's just so beautiful mm -hmm. and so there's like always you know something peeking through but um but you know it was hammered out of me for a, a long time <laughs> and around the first time she painted her first bike she was not a field scientist she was only a data computer I was scientist, a data scientist yeah. oh, was i was just it working was, on excel it was just wow. computer was work eight hours yeah. a day. so she was mentally cracking under the uh, sheer magnitude of um, myopia that was indoor mm -hmm. desk work, and okay. uh, I came. My favorite part of of work was my commute because I used to ride my bike from Golden to Boulder to work, and then back. And I'm on ninety three. I hope. No, no. I, w okay. I went this convoluted path of like thirty six bike path and yeah. like through the Flatirons Mall or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, Good. but it was uh, that was my favorite part of the day. Like mm -hmm. an hour and a half each way. It's like hey, perfect. And nice. Then I would stay for as little time as possible and go home. Right. <laughs> Even though I use Excel for my documents when I do a bike fit with someone to record the data and send them info afterwards and whatnot, to me, Excel is like the ethereal manifestation of being locked in a cubicle. Yeah. Like I just can't stand everything about it. Like, Especially when you're like quality checking 3,600 points of chemical oh, data manually I can't to like imagine. the fourth decimal place. I cannot imagine. <laughs> it uh, wasn't great. I mean, the fact that you went through that and did it for a period of time impressed me because I would have hurled myself in front of a bus. Well, she, she fully thought that she was happy. I hurled myself in front of an SUV, so it was all good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I've hurled myself on the ground also. At the right moment, sometimes we do that. Yeah. We all like to think that crashes on bikes are just accidental gravity induced collisions with the earth but actually a lot of times you did it yourself on purpose <laughs> yeah i've learned to see this I looking in the rearview mirror the yellow light or stop helping sasha with his homework right right <laughs> so that's what you got there you go uh -huh. that's what yeah. happened uh -huh. i was like i really like as i was helping with his homework and i i was like i need to go outside we've been inside working on this project for like the whole day just trying to help you through school mm -hmm. <laughs> 
And I was like, I'm going to go for a little bike ride. And then like 20 and minutes in, strikes and I you got called hit by him. A car. I was like, I've been hit by a car. Oh, dear. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that was a broken hip. That was, that was the broken hip. Yeah. Brutal. How long ago was that? Uh, 2019. 2019. Yeah. yeah. Like March of 2019. Yeah. So. Well, having looked at you recently on the bike, you, you look really good on the bike. So things are going well. Cool. So good work on taking care of yourself. Keep it up. Nice. If we don't have health, what do we have? Wealth. Wealth. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> a lot of people are really unhealthy, but really wealthy. A lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It doesn't lead to much quality of life. Though. No, that's true. We're going to spend it all one way or another. I mean, you can either buy your doctor a new BMW or you can buy healthy organic local food. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. true. Just my little two cents there. It is very generous to buy your doctor a BMW. Most of my doctors already have a BMW. Actually, I don't really have doctors. So I don't have a, a general practitioner. I know you're supposed to do that as part of adulting in the United States. Like, go get a doctor. I don't have one of those. I think I'm, I think I'm breaking oh, yeah. the rules mm-hmm. on purpose. Yeah. So, yeah, when she got hit by the car, um, as would serve you right, <laughs> oh, you should help me with the homework. Um, but she went and was really, really manic because because I need she's to manic. I just need to, and uh, it's a total issue sometimes. So she decided to strip down her bike because she was told she can't run, she can't bike, she shouldn't even really walk too much for now. And she decided to paint her aluminum Cannondale. Mm-hmm. So she did so really playfully over you know two three days something like that. And it was like color vomit. There was like an octopus somewhere on it that was like wrapping its tentacles around the t- mm-hmm. tubes and uh-huh. some jellyfish turning into air balloons air, yeah. and <laughs> nice. flying like over a, a sky. It was like, yeah, it was all over the place. It was nice. really cool. Um, and I remember seeing that and being like, that's really refreshing. Like, that's cool and that's super out there. You should do that for money because mm-hmm. nobody does that ever. I've never seen it. And I was like, that's a dumb idea. It's a dumb idea. I was like, no, but really, you should do that. So she brushed me off and kind of banked that idea for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was kind of like it. That was the start. She was getting really fed up with office work because I, again, challenged her with that. And I was like, that's stupid. Why would you do that for a living? And then he has an idea. I have to, like, tell him it sucks and, like, rage against that idea and have a tantrum and then think about it and mm-hmm. then decide it was my idea. Right. And right. then be good. <laughs> she, well, uh, technically speaking, it was, yeah. yeah. he's just the one who planted the seeds that you should continue to grow that. Yeah. And then you owned it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, uh, when we first met had told her about my aspirations of taking a land cruiser and traveling the globe with it and like driving through Africa. She's like, I want to get lost in Africa. It would be and, amazing. Like, it's epic. People lost. go overlanding for years. <laughs> So I like kind of told her about this and I showed her this like online journal from this couple that went through the Congo for like two months on this crazy epic adventure. And they were on a trip for like five years, but this was just a little two month journal they wrote about going through the Congo. Mm -hmm. And it was just unsupported in the middle of like the depths of Africa. And on a good day, they would go like five kilometers before that was, that was like 12 hours of traveling. Break an axle or something. Um, Like insane. And she was like completely broken. Yeah, like why, why would you, you do, do that? that? But it got to her. 
she started like getting really upset and angry and like challenged. She cried. I then left my job and went bikepacking for three months and then traveling for another four months, basically until the pandemic started and I got back. So awesome. That was like a couple months after. Yeah. So you so. took the idea and. But it was my. my but it was all right. Well, <laughs> he said to take a forerunner. You took a bike. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Travel except, bike, forerunner. Yeah. yeah. Human powered. So that was like kind of all of the things all at once. It was like in a really short temporal scale, right? Like she got hit by a car, was going through a crisis with work, started doing more art. I said, it's stupid. Why do you work in an office? And then she had a total like quarter life crisis and just left the country mm -hmm. and uh, came back and was still going through that quarter life crisis. But the art started to be like a really, really important part of her like existence, I think, to a lot bigger of a degree than it was because she was just purely engineer mm -hmm. at the beginning there. And then that kind of flashes forward to now where she nice. Yeah. Yeah. Now now it's like becoming a thing somehow. It's becoming it's a thing. Pretty crazy yeah. to see. Lots of and rules. also just crazy because like the the bike that I painted, that was like the the like the first bike I painted was probably the first thing I painted. So wasn't you weren't a big painter before that? You weren't painting no. your ceramics or I other did, random I did like canvases. a whole bunch of like photography, like darkroom photography, digital photography, like digital design, animation, mm -hmm. posters um, you painted, sewing stuff, stuff, like a little, a little bit. bit. Like I did like a mandala thing, but that was in like marker and and puffy paint, like mm -hmm. nothing crazy. Um, and I have been really learning how to paint which is cool mm -hmm. um every bike is like a hundred percent better than the next one or than the than its previous one so sounds with, like most yeah. of the things i do in life yeah. <laughs> hopefully i hope i can improve that much all with their share of tantrums in between oh my god so many tantrums yeah. <laughs> and thus from the fires are forged the growth cool yeah so then um, if we look at your Instagram feed, we can see some of your painting projects on there, right? Yes. That's T and Entropy, T-E-A. T-E-A underscore and underscore Entropy. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to change the name to just Entropy underscore Designs because that's like the name of the business. Okay. But you Instagram, do that I've been checking. They give you like a certain number of days where you can't change it. So I'll see. But otherwise, it'll be Entropy underscore Designs. So. Okay. Well, we'll mm -hmm. drop some links in the show notes so people can check it out if they want. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So let's talk about the, the ideas and the, the creative process that went into the decisions that got behind the Appleman and how you guys evolved your business and discovered Cerakote and stepped it up and got the full hazmat suits and everything and, and what, what the plan is and what the game plan is for offering this amazing art that you both produce for other people. Let's unpack all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, Appleman. What I think I don't remember how we decided on a, on a Japanese theme. Um, I think you were talking when we first met, or I guess we we had a phone call, um, and you were talking about how like your daughter is going to Japan and you liked those themes, and uh, you had seen Sasha's bike, which was all based on uh, Korean temple art. Yes. And so you kind of really liked that geometric stuff, and you wanted to maybe like. You know, you, you seem to be pretty interested in Japanese designs and stuff. So I went online and I did a lot of research on like Japanese temple art and also Japanese textiles. And um, I found that there's like a lot of really 
important patterns and significant patterns in Japanese like traditional textiles. And so I started working with those and basically created a test tile for you, like the one you have behind you. Mm -hmm. um, and then we tweaked that and like Sasha and I and you met and figured out kind of which elements we wanted and which ones we didn't. Um, and yeah, then I painted out on the board and then Oh, yeah, just like that. Just like that. We just went <laughs> we talked about it. We just made a test tile and painted it. Yeah, we just, we just talked about it a little bit. Uh -huh. um, no, there was there was a lot of a lot of discussion. So, she painted my bike, which was yeah. probably the fourth time that I had her paint it. Oh my god, so many. Yeah, we we redid it a lot. Um, yeah, let's, let's like, rewind and talk about the Korean temple bike. So this was a Colnago C59? C60. C60. Um, and that was the first bike I got back after leaving the sport for a couple of years and hating it before I realized that I loved it, loved it again. Mm -hmm. um, and she painted her bike and this was like three years ago she started it. We stripped it down and we spent like three weeks sanding it because it's the Bane of any person's existence to sand a Colnago tube, apparently, with all those. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the initial idea was to have her paint mushrooms on the bike, like this really cool thing. So she started doing this real, really realistic, like turkey tail mushroom design on it. And I decided I just didn't want it. And it was like three quarters of the way done. <laughs> and uh, then she went away to Europe and she started again. Uh -huh. um, and this time it was like a lot more of a psychedelic, really playful, colorful mushroom design that was done in Sharpie markers and paint markers. And mm -hmm. it was really out there. We have some pictures of that. And, and then, then I decided. And he was like, I really like it, but I just found that you could use better materials. Yeah. So you should repaint the whole thing. I want it done but better. Do it, do it in like oil paints. Which she had never used. I had never, never used oil paints before. Uh -huh. um, I was like, well, I can't. I can't of course you can do it though. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, this is really nice, but I want like the depth and the rich and the beauty of oil paints. Cause that's just amazing. Like those pigments are crazy. Mm -hmm. Also they're made of really incredible minerals and I want my bike gilded and like expensive high quality minerals. A common thing is that Sasha just wants things better and better and I like classy, nice things. quality. Yeah. Possible. <laughs> well, through it, you got better. So we erased it again. And mm -hmm. the, the by second, erased it, you mean sanded for three days? Yeah, probably. I, well, that one we alcohol off because it was all sharp. Oh, so that was right. that okay. was okay, luckily. But it okay. was all bare carbon. So yeah. to get a frame to bare carbon is a ridiculous amount of work. Yeah. yeah. Um, because if you use a depending on the power bike. tool, you'll destroy yeah. the carbon, and right. we discovered that you really just have to do it by hand. Yeah. And you guys got some some scraping techniques you use with yeah. like plastic scrapers to get, especially in the Colnago, because they have that, is it a star-shaped tube is what they call it? So yeah. it has these little star -shaped ribs that run down the tube and the paint, just getting the paint out mm -hmm. of those. So I think I little... ended up like wrapping my finger in sandpaper and just like going down yeah. the, the little ridge. Mm -hmm. And then like, there are even some areas that we couldn't even get anything mm -hmm. off. So we just Ridiculous. made the design cover those spots because like, yeah. it, just like a tiny corner that still had the, the, the primer was like the worst. Yeah, we tried Dremels, we tried using like metal tools and there were some metal like wedges and wood tools that worked pretty well in some mm -hmm. areas, mm -hmm. but it was, there was just no right solution. Mostly just hand sanding. Mostly just yeah. hand sanding. So we, she, she probably spent another hundred hours on the second mushroom design. Mm -hmm. um, partly, partly her partly, fault. Yes, because my methods were really bad and I was using 
Sharpies and I was also using water-based things. And, and the water-based ones, every time I bring my hand No gloves. So she right. smudged it as she went. Right. And then went right. back and redid it. So yep. it was this really big dance of as she went to here, she smudged it along the way. Yeah. So it was a learn it was all part of the learning process. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it got finished and then I said I want a new one. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then it didn't get dealt with for another year. Because I hated That's understandable. I hated that. <laughs> we were over that project. Yeah. Um, so flash forward a little bit more, I guess, we'll go quicker. Uh, there's this tattoo artist that I really admire uh, out of Korea who is young and contemporary, but he bases all of his art solely on classical traditional Korean artwork. Uh, he would go and take pictures of temples and would contemporize that and use it on tattoos and it was basically just freaking stunning. Mm -hmm. um, and I followed him for years and years and I showed his art to her and I said, you should just copy a couple of these things for painting. It's really cool. You'll learn some stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it just dawned on me that like it would, it was just the perfect venue for translating to a bike. Cause like this stuff is just, we could literally translate it and it would be incredible or we could adapt it in any way we want. And it would be really, really mm. beautiful. Well, we ended up taking some of the pictures that this, this tattoo artist used as inspiration um, because he was going around and taking pictures of like Korean temples mm -hmm. and the undersides of the roofs of the temples are these like beautiful geometric designs that he was using in his work. But we found um, one or two pictures of this temple that just, you know, obviously it was, it was all together. The whole design was in that temple. So we used the motifs from that and then we translated it onto the bike. And which his name on Instagram, I think is, Pita KMM? KKM. KKM. Yeah. Um, Pita P-E-T-A. P-I-T-A. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, no. I'll look we'll, we'll put it on there. Yeah. yeah. Incredible art. He was actually just designated like a like really prestigious national treasure yeah. award for his art in Korea. Cool. Um, because of what he's doing for traditional classical Korean, Korean artwork, which it's called Dan Chong. Yeah, okay. So Dung Chong is the is the yeah. style. Okay. So that was like that uh, it like a light bulb went off. She started copying a couple of his things, and I was like, "This is what we have to do on the bike." Like it just makes mm -hmm. sense. The first half of the test tile really sucked. Yeah. I was like trying to figure out the designs, and then I got like really mathematical with it and figuring out like the geometry of these like hexagons. She was freehanding, repeating geometry, and then it started to like it morph. morph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's right. not. So that was like the one half. How that of it. goes. Yep. The other half, I was like, okay, getting out my like engineering drafting tools yeah. here and just like use yeah. the compass and the making sure all the angles are right. And um, then. Right after that test tile, I just started painting the bike. So right. okay, so that brings me to a really interesting point, which is, you know, ostensibly, what you guys are going to offer is pretty much any anything anyone wants to paint on their bike. However, we have to recognize that the bike is a very unique type of canvas because yeah. it's not a flat, two dimensional surface. Mm -hmm. It's a three dimensional surface that has cylinders and curves and junctions. Yes. So. If you tried to overlay a giant turkey tail mushroom on top of a frame, it might look really cool, but probably nobody would know what the heck it was except you, which isn't necessarily good or bad, but it depends on what you want to go for, right? So this Korean temple art, we'll definitely drop photos of your bike in the Instagram for sure, Sasha. Um, 
and I know that bike had an accident and is being repaired. What's the status on that? I have at this point basically fully repaired. repaired. And she fully wow. repaired it. Yeah. It's back to life. Cause yeah, because we, awesome. we had a we had a clear coat. So. Yeah, a okay. clear coat, which is why we're not using Cerakote. So. Right, right, right. Okay, great. So the Korean temple art, because of the smaller geometric shapes, fits well on a tube and accentuates, it, it makes the tubes pop, I would say. Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at that Colnago in a group of 20 bikes and it's going to catch your eye immediately. Yeah. And then the detail is going to draw you into it. That's what's cool about it. And then you start to appreciate the complexity of it. But what I would like to know is, okay, so you had your test tile, which is, so people see, I'll also do a photo of that in the drop, but like there are plates of carbon, nine by 12 or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just a plate of carbon. We're using that because carbon is the background, right? So if we do, if you do show carbon through in some areas, then you get the, the flavor of what you're going to see, the contrast of the tone and Yes, that right. and, the, and the fact that carbon has really specific properties when you're painting on it. So, practice so to help you practice the brush strokes and how much the paint saturates and those kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. So, but the challenge being, and we'll we'll talk about our design a little more for the Appleman, but how do you translate a, a 2D object onto a 3D tube that's curved and have it make sense and be art artistically kind of in line with your end vision? and also aesthetically pleasing, right? The goal of art. So when you took your your architecture tools, your compasses and your rulers and such, and you drew out these these shapes on a flat surface, mm -hmm. how did you transfer them to the tubes in a way that preserved the geometry? That so, was such a yeah. that was such a learning thing. There's a lot of engineering in that. Um so I um because I have like a lot of experience with like some digital design and stuff like that. I have uh, Adobe Illustrator, so I use the designs, I trace them into Illustrator, and then I did a whole bunch of measuring on the tubes, figured out like how they flared and how like these separate portions, like on Sasha's bike, we left the, the divots in the tubes. Mm -hmm. And so I measured the specific sections and how they tapered and the lengths and stuff. So and a small note is the C60 is, was a really good bike to do it on because yeah. the profiles of the tubes are all flat. Yeah. Basically they the tubes are squared. Yeah. Uh, right. um, so that was so nice. we were working, it was, it was okay. nice. We weren't working against curved tubes so much. Mm -hmm. yep. Some of the stays were a little bit more tricky, but it's basically a big square bike. Yeah. Um, so right, right, that right. was really nice because we had a really good flat profile to put every different type. Every different isn't the panel. top tube that star shape or no? Am I thinking of the top it tube? Is. It is. It flares into a star shape in like, from, either like, end. from around into a star. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. So okay. there's like a lot of like those weird like some some things were like a little bit awkward. Morphe um, round to squared junctions and stuff, but it was still mostly the C tube was the worst the because that was, was a super for sure. um, like big transition from the star into the, the round, round tube. Yeah, so um, we, we lucked out with that one for yeah. sure because it we were able to fit the design really cohesively into given sections of tube without having to worry about how to contour it to mm -hmm. it. And then um, on, on your bike though, that your bike has yeah. round tubes and some of them flare a little bit. Yep. Um, and the lugs kind of flow together very mm -hmm. organically and, and very um, cleanly, I guess you would say like the lines are just, it's almost as if you just went A to B with a gentle curve. Yeah. And so like for that one, like we had the base of your design is the repeating circles, right? Yeah. The interlocking circles. And there was a possibility that I could have figured out the exact right diameter for the circles to go and perfectly match up around 
But once that diameter changes, then you have to like change the design as you go. Mm -hmm. So our solution to that was to put Kintsugi on your bike. Mm -hmm. And by that, we could offset the design a little bit, just enough to make it match and just mismatch enough to make it look intentional on the portions that we had that were like, you know, broken. Mm -hmm. um, there was enough learning with the Kolnaga, which again, small jump back into like some reference for that. That was all supposed to be done in two weeks right before I was heading to the tour of the Gila because I didn't have a bike to use for that. Mm -hmm. So the deadline was get it done in two weeks and we'd never done it before. We had never stenciled like that before. She had never painted like that before. And how it long went, did it actually take? It, it was a probably, 10 days. it was 10 days. I stayed up sleep? like 20 hours a day. <laughs> it was, it was, it was approximately like 18 to 20 hours a day of yeah. work for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, because it wasn't even so much that it was that much work. It was that we had never done any of the process at that awesome. point. We'd mm -hmm. never stenciled it. It was the work for sure, <laughs> but you just did the whole bike and it took you like a week of like solid painting part-time. Yeah. So she just redid the whole thing and it was quick. We didn't know how to stencil it. We were dealing with material issues in terms of the stencil ink bleeding when we were trying to paint over it. Right. We were trying to figure out how to prevent that. We were trying to figure out what our stenciling process was going to be, um, trying to get all the actual uh, patterns digitized appropriately mm -hmm. in her programs, trying to measure and get, like, it was just so much all at once that had never actually been done because it was really precision with the geometry. Yeah. Um, and then it was all under a time constraint. Yeah. So okay. it was like a rapid learning, go as fast as you can. And it came together because her test tiles were like level three or four. And then this was like solidly like a full cohesive orchestrated piece mm -hmm. that she had never even dreamt of touching on all at once. Yeah. So it was uh, it's the first time I used gold. Yeah. yeah. First time we did the stencils. First Actual time. gold, that is. Right. Yeah. The first yeah. time I even put like oil paints on a bike. Mm. Right. Well, kind of. We and so much of it was adaptive, right? Like we had an idea in mind and then we, we fully changed it. Changed it. Yeah. And that happened with Colby's bike as well, right? Yeah. We had these set ideas where like, this is what we're going to like. And yeah. as it develops and you start filling the space, like you realize that no amount of your planning is going to be able to accommodate like what it actually looks like in process. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there were a lot of on the fly changes that again would freak us out in the middle of the process and be like, Oh my God, oh, okay. How do we do this now? now? Right. Yeah. So it was a big, it was definitely a dance uh -huh. to make it happen. Yeah. We definitely did that on your bike with like your fork and other components. Like we mm -hmm. did not have that in mind. Um, yep. but so was it was necessary. But, so. Yeah. so the Colnago just gave us so much to learn with and ended up being friggin' striking. Um, you know, the oil paint was just so bright. It was as bright and beautiful as I wanted it to be well, when I found, had her switch to oils. We found the best oil paints we possibly could. The brand that we're using is like, it's was formed in like 1600 or something. Mm -hmm. And they use like pure mineral pigments with like just that and linseed oil, basically. So it's cool. like super traditional methods. Highest paint, saturation of super pigment. Super saturated pigment. Like really cool like stuff. The amount of paint that I actually use on a bike, it doesn't even make a dent in the small tube of paint. She probably like added an entire bike with one color and it would probably be like maybe a quarter if I fully covered the bike. Because it's just so rich. It's she so she rich. probably added like 20 grams of paint total to my bike. Yeah. All in all. So it wasn't much. 
so that was a big learning thing. And then of course I was like, well, how do I make this even flousier? And I like my things being kind of like nice. Why don't we put real gold on it? Yes, of course. Gold. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, no, Sasha. I was like, but why not? Why it makes more? sense. <laughs> it was beautiful. So Colby saw that when I brought it in and was like, kind of holy shit. This is legit. Um, this is this, yeah. you know, again, hasn't been done. And that was yeah. the thing that I always was telling Molly, like, this hasn't been done. And I, I just didn't believe him. I was like, like, no, well, you look up anything custom and it's, you know, a, a color fade to another color fade with some sparkles. Yeah. Just like, that's not custom. The bike industry likes fades. They like yeah. the fades. They yeah. loved black on black forever. Black black. Yeah. So it was just this big protest to all this junk that people loved that was racy and factory looking and sleek and the whole time every iteration of every bike we did it was just a challenge and trying to like break that mold and do something that was just out there mm -hmm. well, I, I think sasha and i have both had like that like weirdly like fervent distaste for like factory uniformity mm -hmm. as far as like the the aesthetic of, of bikes go like the orthodoxy of cycling coolness like the why does it have, all to have to be black on black you have one pink sock and like <laughs> you know you've got your big sunglasses the one you big stripe in the it's like it's it's so uniform and you're mm. like well like are you are you like everybody else like do you mm. want to to be part of the cult or do right. you do you want to like you know it seems like people, you know, we spend so much time on our bikes. Well, for such an expressive sport, yeah, like the bike mm -hmm. for people is Everyone like this religious, player, ex like ex extension of themselves. It's art. It's effort. It's a dance. It's like power and freedom. It's like death and the like demise. It's like all of this like major dramatic thing, mm -hmm. and it means so much to people. And yet, in you're so being many ways. At the same time, pick one of like our having... thirty factory colors, and 30. you know, three. Try, try yeah, three. Yeah. three. <laughs> I know that was recent, right? Like Panarello started doing their like my their way program and Trek yeah. with their this and that, mm -hmm. and you know, you still can only pick from these many colors, and you can mix and match some decals and labels, and you're like, but that's still not well, really that it. interesting, yeah. guys. To scale, you've got to limit options, right? right. That's just the way it works. So there's a they can't do everything for obviously. like a two to three thousand dollar upcharge, mm -hmm. mind you. Yes, so, but. But it but it shows that people do want they want it. they want something custom. Some people do. Mm -hmm. Some people, people want to identify with their tribe by being the most murdered out, ninja out, yeah. black on black with one red stripe somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I, I that's don't, fine. Right, right, right. It's awesome for the people that like it yeah. because they whatever color you're riding, yeah. yeah, super dope. No hatred yeah. on that, but like yeah. you know, I I wouldn't be able to, you know, me with my black on black bike. <laughs> right. Well, I never wanted to like just ride something that that person could buy. It's boring. Well, that's that's you with everything. Like you would have a custom fairy be like, everywhere. Tailor your clothes for you every morning. Like, <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> Measure my inseam today. <laughs> well, this goes to a philosophy that I have, or maybe it's more of an observation. It's not really a philosophy, but there's a rule that I've observed, and I would challenge people to find exceptions to this because there are a few, but they're far and few between. So we take anything. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the paint job on a bike or food or education or clothing. 
You take anything and you scale it to a big enough level and it turns into a piece of shit. It's really, really hard to make something at scale and keep quality. You educate someone, the more, the bigger scale you put on an education system, the more you have to bell curve it, dumb it down, smooth it out, mm -hmm. take out the nuance, take out anything controversial. And I don't know about you guys, but all my best teachers are people where about 88% of the time I'm on the same page as them. And probably about 12% of the time I'm looking at them going, this person's fucking crazy. Those are the best teachers. Yeah. Now, if that paradigm reverses, it's time to find a different teacher. Mm -hmm. Also, it's time to find a different teacher if 100% of the time you're in agreement and your envelope's not being pushed because then you're not learning. They're not changing your paradigm. They're not nudging you in a different direction, right? So, I mean, same concept with scaling of paint jobs. And there's also a lot of homogenization of the aesthetic of cycling that has evolved over the years, but you know, I'm sure you've seen the, the Pinarello, the original Pinarello jobs from like the Alexa Graywall years. Like there's something very classic about that. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just uh, an archetypal look for cycling, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. um, but it was based on a fade, right? And also back then, I think people had limited capabilities of what they could do with paint. And that's still somewhat true to scale to this day. Right. It's like, how does a big, a big box company like Specialized or Trek make paint jobs that are not black on black, but have something to them? Well, masking is really expensive and messy. So... Yeah. So right? Sharp lines are hard yeah. to do, but fades, anyone who's skilled with a paintbrush or an airbrush can do a fade and do a pretty good job as long as you have rough parameters, mm -hmm. right? And we also have like, you know, there's decals that are, that look really nice and you can mm -hmm. put that on a bike mm -hmm. and yep. it's so easy. Now. Yep. Um, for yep. sure. And I, I definitely would like, you know, the, the, the feasibility of doing something like what we're doing at a mass scale is, is, I mean, we had to really work through a lot of like issues and stuff that we had with like paint compatibility because you're not usually supposed to put like urethane-based paints over oil-based stuff and like so we really had to figure out how to make that work and how to ensure that like things are compatible and and there's like longevity in the in the paint jobs and stuff mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah i mean so much along what colby was talking about in terms of watering down right the like customization of anything mm. and i think Molly knows me well enough at this point to realize why I like things as I do, right? Because I was always, again, cycling is a little bit of a trap in that way. You have a very small box of things that you have to do, have to be fit into, shoes look a certain way, fit a certain way. I'm working on saddles, it, man. I'm working on changing it. a certain way. You have to put your sunglasses the, the, over your helmet. Well, but not even right. the style aspect, just <laughs> yeah. like all of it, right? Everything is done a certain way. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. You know, for my whole life, I've had physiological issues that cause me extreme pain. I've never had a real comfortable day on the bike almost ever. Um, which We're is working on that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's how I stumbled into Colby after years and years and years of working with many other um, somewhat renowned fit technicians. I had a bunch of junk shims here and wedges here and specialized hoo-ha stuff there and that. And it never worked. <laughs> um, and I was just left out of the entire equation right like nothing fit mm. um and that's how i kind of stumbled on to colby who has been working with me for a year and a half something like that um on trying to resolve my issues right and it was a mm. very fresh look and a refreshing look because it was like all right let's take away like everything we think we know let's look at the root problems of why this is let's look at how you're supposed to fit and let's look at why you don't fit that 
And now let's start adopting things that make sense. And it was kind of a renaissance and refreshing in my mind to have somebody who I felt was a contemporary and a very thoughtful one at that in the industry, trying to not just be another equation type person telling you this is how it's supposed to be. So that I think is part of the reason why this project ended up being as cool as it was and dynamic as it was, because I ended up being with somebody who much in the same way, like eschewed the general stereotypical average average of the entire industry. You didn't like any of it either. Fuck that. They're all wrong. It's just stupid. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, thank you. That's thank you. That's very generous. I'll modify that sentence a little bit. I don't, I wouldn't say they're all wrong for sure. How I like right. to phrase it is I'm not old school and I'm not new school. I'm all school. Yes. That's a KRS one quote, sure. but that's how I look at it. I take what is valuable from the old school, the old way of doing things. Right. And the reason that bikes, especially road cycling is so trapped in this orthodox box is because it's been around forever. And that's part of what gives the sport this rich history. Sure. And some of that is pageantry and some of that is tradition and tradition is a charged word, right? We can look at it with a good charge or a bad charge, depending on your perspective and your lens. I try to avoid those lenses and just say it's a word and let's take from it that which is useful and put away that which is not. And I would say there's a good portion that I put away, hence my podcast that I did several episodes ago, 99 Italian Wives Tales About Bike Fitting, most of which need to be assassinated. Maybe I butchered my own title, something like that. <laughs> but I, there's so much garbage in the world of bike right. fitting and in, in the world of cycling that's just been dragged along just because. Right. Um, well, however, you know, part of learning and growth is to look in the rearview mirror and see history. You know, those who do not learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. So we have to learn, you know, how do we get to this point? Why were those decisions made? Why are Belgians afraid of air conditioning? Why do they not eat the center of croissants? These are things that we need to investigate. These are, well, these are questions. Yes, right. it's a true thing. And, and, Belgians and, and, are afraid and, and, of air conditioning. I'll edit, I'll edit my statement. They're not all wrong. It's just that nobody seems to want to think. Right. To think the next critically. level. Well, yes. You know, what yeah. is right and why is this why? not make sense? Yeah. And why? How do we adapt and learn from this and actually like make it into a morphological evolutionary thing? And I think that was really inspiring and very cool in a lot of ways for me, especially because it was like, oh, look at that. Like anybody who can just say that that made sense, but this doesn't. And uh, much in the same way, like that carries through on bike fitting and me to like how I'm trying to fix myself on the bike and how I'm trying to learn to use it, how we've adapted trying to change the paint on a bike and even how that process changes in real time when we are designing what we're doing with it. I mean, mm -hmm. all, all, all aspects of it, it's all gotta be a kind of this dance and this evolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think some of the traditional classical this and that is really, it's really restricting. Mm -hmm. So um, kind of flash forward through all of that, we finished my bike, Colby saw it, and we're like, yeah, that really is different. Like interesting what were like your thoughts when you saw it i'm curious i saw it, an amazing unique unbelievable work of art i saw passion i saw critical thinking i saw application of skill i saw i saw a vision that was brought to reality mm -hmm. i mean you could see the art artistic passion that went into it and that's what really captured my eye because you know we go to a museum we pay an entry fee we expect to see art that's in modern world, that's most of the time where you see art. You can walk around certain cities and see amazing murals on, on walls and such. Sometimes you see that. We have some of those in Boulder. We have some of those in Denver. 
but to really see someone's true art. I mean, what, what is art? It's your interpretation of the world to overuse a really good word, alchemized through your experience and your skill into physical manifestation. And that's what I saw on a bike. So I saw something completely unique. And I also saw something that I think would capture other people's attention. I mean, usually it's the case, right? If you see something and it really grabs your eye, you're probably not the only one. It's very rare that you would walk on a trail and see a flower and walk with 12 other people and say, look at this flower. No one else would see anything beautiful in that. Mm -hmm. At least some of the group would acknowledge, oh, wow, yes, that's a really beautiful shade of blue. So when we witness someone else putting their creative energy into the universe and actually doing it, especially at that level, because it wasn't a doodle on a page that took you 12 minutes. It wasn't a painting that took you three hours. It was something that took, I couldn't estimate how much time looking at it. That, 200 hours. about 200 hours. <laughs> so I, I didn't, to me, that's like gobbledygook numbers. It's the same thing as when they talk about the US GDP or all political, <laughs> you know, such and such trillion dollars for this program. And you're like, what? Bleh. I don't know what that means. Like none of us know what a trillion is really. Conceptually, we might have a model. And yeah, we can write it down on paper, but we don't really know. So 200 hours for me is like, okay, a whole crap ton. <laughs> and what I see is the, the wave of that passion that goes into that paint job um, and that artistic endeavor. So I just thought it was amazingly unique. And immediately I saw, started connecting dots in my head. I was like, okay, how is this going to progress? What happens next? Was this a one-time thing? So that's my next question for you guys is, when did you decide to make a business? When did you decide to form T and Entropy or Entropy Designs and commercialize it? Was it during the process of the Colnago or was it the moment you you finished it and saw it built? Or what, Or was there a moment or was it just kind of one day you were like, yeah, I guess we decided we're opening a frame painting business. I guess it was kind of um, like a double tiered approach. I decided you were doing this <laughs> yeah. three years ago. Yeah, so three, three years when ago. When I saw the first I one. Created... Sorry, I was asking Molly. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know she was doing it and I fully decided she was doing it. Three years so... ago, he was like, you need to make a business out of this. And I used it as like a catalyst to also like ask for sponsorships from a bikepacking trip. So like I made the business, it was called Tea and Entropy at the time. Um, and I sent out all these like booklets about all the paint jobs I could do and how I'm going on this trip. I'm going to paint my bike as I bike pack around Europe and, um, you know, got Trek interested and they were like really generous and they could like help me with some gear and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then like that fizzled a little bit because when I came back and decided I just wanted to race bikes and I didn't want to sit at home and paint. Um, and so the Colnago still had to be painted though. And so once we painted that and once we actually like did see it mm -hmm. completed, we were like, oh, well, this is, this is something. And the amount of like triumph <laughs> that was like felt when it was done was like a really good incentive to keep going with the, with the bike painting stuff. Okay. I will um, say that's for you though, right? Like she could not believe it was something mm. that was tangible Until, all the while i'm like no I, no, I, you need I, to do this but I, no but molly you can do this, this is like, ridiculous of course you can do this she's like no i don't get it well, i don't I see don't, it i don't believe that like whatever i i still like i think that the colnago was pretty i think that your bike was like really nice 
but I still, I don't see what I make as, as beautiful as what other people see. Like I, I yeah. keep like, it's, it's, if it's not like what's in my mind, like I just, I think it's beautiful, mm. but like, I, I never expect that other people will also think so, or that it will be like realistically that it's as nice as, as I think it looks. It won't or, meet your expectations. It, Is that yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I think every bike that we've done so far has actually exceeded my expectations, hmm. but at the same time, like how could anyone want that? Um, this is why you're the perfect person to do this because right. you are so humble that you can't see the gift, the value of the gift you have to give the world. I mean, I just, yeah. I mean, the efficacy is there. You're just so doubtful. Right? Yeah, I'm very so skeptical. all the while I'm like, no, mom, okay. do it. I'm very you can skeptical. Do it. I will okay. like stop and give a little bit of a like dynamic shout out here. Right. Like I don't paint. It's not what I do. I don't have the time to do it. That's all Molly, her actually like actuating a good portion of the art I have helped her and coached her mm. on like how to practice and some of the materials to use. She's not very much of a systems thinker in some of those ways. Yeah. Really? She's like, I'm our, not really our, our Excel scientist. When I know no. I, it's, it's, it's she's like, this brush it. doesn't work. It's, I, it's glompy. I just want to be able to just like do it. Mm. At the second I think about it, I just want to be able to do it, which obviously isn't feasible. So like mm. Sasha's voice is like, slow down. Yeah, let's, let's go a, to the art let's store. Right. Let's get you the right brush so that it works the way it's supposed to. She's like, this isn't working. It doesn't look as good as I want. This is terrible. I'm never going to be good at it. I'm like, no, let's get you the right materials. Let's, or like, again, mm -hmm. I have always kind of been more of like the systems, like, I can't do this. I'm Sasha's not going to do this. He's For sure. For sure. In that way. <laughs> because like, I don't have the time, energy, or like the diligence to do it. You do. You just, you're just like, I'll just do it with any brush. I'll do it with my thumb. No problem. Like, I'll paint the whole thing with my thumb. Like, Molly, come on. Like, chill out. First, you don't suck. You just don't know what you're doing. You'll, you'll figure it out. Second, like, if you think it through, you usually hit the nail right on the head. You just don't think it through first. Mm. Yeah, I have to, I have to chaotically like do something and fail at it cry get angry say you're a failure cry at him and then um there have been more than like three right. or four emergency field trips to the art store to be like all right we're buying materials <laughs> it's time to get the right thing it doesn't work this is simple there's something for that so but through that so much learning though and like that's I, for sure i think i also like in doing some of these projects have learned to like quell that instinct for the moment or like it, like, you know, that, that chaotic, like, I just want to do this thing. Like maybe I could do that, but not on something where the stakes are high. <laughs> mm, right. Well, and that's yeah. been a big learning process for you, right? Is like, let's think it through. How did, what's the process? Mm. What are the tools you need? Mm -hmm. Are we going to mock it up first? How many times are we no. going to practice it? <laughs> no, 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 she would just go to the bike and like start going. I'm like, no, 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 no. For Colby's bike, you need to make four or five test tiles. I did make a lot of She test didn't, didn't want to at first. I was like, no, it. you're making <laughs> test tiles. Like it's, you need to do something before well, you do it. I had you made can't like just three test tiles. And he's like, you should probably make like four more. And I was like, what do I need to? Yes. I fully. See a lot fully. of similarity in our creative process. <laughs> So yeah. I, I would also, I would have done the same do thing. I would have yeah. like sanded part of the frame and then just wanted to start painting and uh -huh. then deal with the rest of the sanding later. Yeah, okay. I just want to start. 
go. I never want to see it happen fully prepared for anything before I jump into it. And, and, you know, in some ways, in some applications, I think that that is a great instinct for this precise, Mm. very meticulous application Mm -hmm. that requires a functional output. That is not a good instinct. Sometimes spontaneity, like do it. Throw right. that, throw the pan around, mess it up, play with it, like design, create. Go Jackson awesome. Pollock. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah. that never worked. And mm-hmm. she utterly failed every time she was trying to mm. do something new. I wouldn't say failed. She just she she learned. had like major, major yeah. issues with yeah. trying to like reconcile mm-hmm. the actual like act of doing it with what she thinks it should look like. So that's the key right there is that the artist has... For me, I've felt at times, I mean, this is the birth of this podcast to a degree, which you could, I suppose, consider a form of art, but it's the same concept. I have an idea in my head and I feel like I'm going to die if it doesn't get out of my brain. It's that simple. And it's a really obtuse concept if you think about it. I mean, only humans can have this, I would assume. I don't know. We don't see porpoises making art. Although maybe we just haven't discovered it yet. Their songs are... Their songs are their art, probably, right? Or octopi, right? Um... But I, there are times when I see art in my head, I have concepts in my head and it's that simple. It's a really obtuse right brain thing mm-hmm. to tr- have to express that. And the pain comes when you really have a crystal clear vision of this thing and you can't get it out. Yeah. It's like heartbreak. You're it's, like, oh my God, this, yeah. why doesn't it, why doesn't it like it look glow way, itself and move yes. itself and like do what it's doing in my head. In my head. But there's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a moment of reckoning where you're like, okay, like, is this something that's going to stay in my brain forever? And I'll have to deal with that, like death of it in reality. Or mm-hmm. is it something that if I think about enough, or I, I try it enough, I can make, I can grasp at like what it looks like in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which the trying is the hard part for you. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> I mean, she started practicing oils and I was like, paint these flowers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, and she couldn't do it. Process. She got really frustrated, but then she did one and it was okay. Mm-hmm. So great. Now paint 20 more. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> this is stupid. No. I don't want to do anymore. Wax what on, wax off. I'm like, yeah. no, Molly, do it again. Mm-hmm. And then she did. And then I was like, do it again though. It and each time it was like 30% better mm-hmm. and like nicer and nicer. Okay. See, we're getting there. Yep. So that kind of happened as this whole process progressed again like i said like i'm not the one actuating the art more so some of that and then her and i have both like designed and worked on compositions come up with ideas really trying to like iron out what we can possibly do right Mm -hmm. we're working on a couple things now um one for one of my other bikes where we're like going through some of this other stuff that we're kind of emulating and trying to mix and match components and pull it apart and dissect it. Mm. And like, all right, how do we take all of these things and make it this composition now? So we kind of work on that as like a thing together. And then she usually handles a majority of the painting. Um, because yeah. again, you do like the clear coat. Yeah. I ended up doing the clear coat and then stuff. we kind of have been doing like a lot of the gilding and a yeah, lot of the, like the other detail work together. The gilding like is a two person job For just sure. because like you, you paint on the, the, it's called size, it's the, the glue. And then you have to wait for the exact right moment when it's tacky enough, but not, not, enough. not dried. And then like everyone holds their breath and you like creep up on the thing. Cause it's so it's like, it's Adam's thick. 
and you if go, you breathe, it's gold leaves. If you breathe, the then leaf. you have literally just like thrown gold into the environment, in the yeah. atmosphere. That's why. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and so you have to like really carefully, like one person holding their breath, they like. And so you just push, you just hold the leaf to the glue, and then peel away the rest, and it leaves. Depending. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, right. So, so, like, That's the theory. Yeah. Your kintsugi, for example, the kintsugi on your bike is is gold flake. Um, so I just brush that on. Okay. And that poops into the air no matter what, and I probably have gold in my lungs forever. It's a um, sodden metal. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gold is a really interesting metal if you study it. Yeah. Right. You know, you study rocks. Right. It's very conductive. Yes. Um, yes. So that's, but then the other one, it, it, they're in sheets, and yeah. you know, it's very meticulous. And but it's definitely a two-person. The world's box. thinnest sheet. Yeah. Like crazy, that, you can right? see through it. Yeah, yeah you yeah. can see through that's it. That's cool. It's weird to see through a metal, but sure. yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the relationship with a lot of that. I, mm -hmm. I again, when I was younger, did a lot of spray painting stuff, so I ended up being better at the clear coating mm. bits of it. Not very even. No, they're <laughs> not. Um, but again, that was all you know, just the development of the process, right? Like it started off as really not refined clear coating process. And I was like, we need a full paint booth if we're gonna do this right. Yeah. Yep. So we're so gonna do a paint booth. Made a paint booth. So we're gonna buy the right materials, Molly. We we're gonna set it up. The da, 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 da. And a carbon filter and, and a grow tent and a light that was yeah, used and so. automotive spray guns. So we, we had the whole setup there. Um, mm -hmm. We have Cerakote, like the first bike I painted, I took a, a 2K gloss, like epoxy spray can, yeah. shook it outside. off and did it outside. No yeah. problem. And it's still on there. Right. It's still fine. I've done the same thing. But it looks a lot better when you put it into a booth and like make a really professional clear coat on top of yeah. it. Yeah. So. so maybe we can unpack some of the specific elements we decided on for the Appleman. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about the circles and the origin of the indigo. Yeah. Um, so the circles here, I Sasha's taking it down. You can yeah. take the boro as well. It's on the other side of the table. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. yeah. I like how you flipped it to the gold flowers instead. Yeah. That's interesting. So we have these test tiles here that you I can't did. display both sides at once. I know. <laughs> so this was a fun project. Colby saw the bike that I had when he was fitting me and was like, kind of holy shit. And I was like, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. So would you like us to do one of yours? If you ride it, we'll do it for free. And and I was like, yeah, if we do a pod and I promote your business and tell everybody about how cool you are. And then here we are. So here we are. Um, so this was a cool one. Molly started doing a lot of research on just Japanese art, history, temple work, Textiles. sacred geometry type stuff that was relevant. I, I texted my cousin who is like an Asian studies like person and mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. I just tried to get as much information as possible. And she just started digitizing everything yeah. you know she just took a million it's like tons of these patterns all these million bits of this and that and just started you know we're like we'll just we'll just use it at yeah. some point so mm -hmm. let's just have a portfolio of all this useful stuff yeah. that we can have so i made like a library of like 16 different japanese textile patterns or something like that and then looked at japanese compositions for art and started thinking about how are they arranging it and what are they doing to make it look like this cohesive piece of japanese art that's really iconic and really, really like, I mean, it's, they're famous in the world for their aesthetic. Yeah. And how do we emulate that? Mm -hmm. So we literally started with components and then went from there. Mm -hmm. So um, So what do we have on this test tile? So in the background of this and the background of your bike too, we have these like circles and they're interlocking circles. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, I think it's called like the five treasures. Um, but it's, it's um, that's like what the, what the pattern is called. So um the cool thing about this is they're painted and 
and everything that's between blue and white on the scale of blue and white in this painting is actually uh, indigo that I got from Japan and crushed up into a pigment. Which was an edit later on because yeah. she used her initial Originally, oil paints and, and we thought it was beautiful, it. Yeah. but wasn't we quite like, the right. where do we get more, again, more depth and more like mm -hmm. richness out of it? There's and just connection. nothing that right. compares to, to and there's nothing like, as, as, as real as like indigo. Japanese denim, yeah. indigo, mm -hmm. Japanese fabrics, indigo. Yeah. Like, it's, like, all it's all indigo. It was indigo. beautiful. So I was like, let's go get some from Japan. Yeah. And so she found some. That, figured out how to make paint. And I used like linseed and safflower oil to do that and like muddle the paint up. And, you know, it's definitely homemade. You can see some of the texture and the, the grains mm -hmm. of pigment. Um, but I, I did that. Which is such a theme when we're doing all of this stuff is we're like, well, how can we do something that's just even cooler and less off the shelf? Yeah. Right. It's and, like obviously it has to be indigo from Japan because we're right. doing the Japanese And obviously bike. I wanted gold on my bike, so I wanted real gold. Yeah. Like, why would we do something else stupid? We're not going to use like, Yeah, of course. So it was just always mm -hmm. these, like, evolutions of, like, yeah. how do we do this next thing? Um, so we, she, she got all this content, and we sat down for a while and just started picking out what we thought would look really interesting and cool based on some full compositions that we had got from traditional Japanese artwork mm -hmm. that we could find online. And we started to build this. And there's like a lot of um, very uh, meticulous aesthetic choices that we had to kind of like work our way through. Um, like for example, your head badge um, is this golden apple with three flowers on it mm -hmm. and that's it. And we, we made like 10 test apples mm -hmm. and each one of them was just not right. Not right. Not right. This just, flower is like tiny bit too big and tiny bit awkward in this placing. Like you should shift the top flower over by a millimeter and then increase the size of the lower one just so that it clips the, like the petals. We, in a specific we spent point. hours so many juxtaposing hours. different size flowers of different shapes in different positions on the apple to come up with what looked nice but wasn't too obstructive to the rest of the apple so that there was the right balance of gold. it was just such this dance there's, it's like a dance of like randomness and order and like like there's a right answer to it right and mm. you you if you if you choose the right answer in one portion of it then you have to make sure that the similar right answer mm -hmm. exists throughout the design because otherwise mm -hmm. it's it's chaotic and and like the flower is not in the right place. Like maybe it should have been here, but if it were here, then it would be crowded. And, and truth be you know, told, somebody probably wouldn't care or notice. No, but, but as I'm, you're doing it, the difference, and I think this is to be true for sure, is like the thing that separates some art that's really cool and nice versus art that's exceptional is the level of thought at that level, at that at that yeah. like echelon of, of the artwork, right? Like mm. it is so orchestrated sometimes to be the way it is to to achieve a certain aesthetic we could have just done you know a couple flowers slapped on here and there and somebody went that's super cool yeah. right but for those who have the keen eye and really really have this like kind of artistic prowess about what they like observe and stuff you kind of see the the orchestration and the elegance and the thought behind the whole composition any kind of artwork mm -hmm. that i think was something that was, that was really inspiring and important for us to try to emulate, especially because again, the Japanese aesthetic is really, really high and, and fine tuned. It's, it's, it's so specific. And the specificity that we were trying to emulate without butchering it for something like that, especially since we were trying to emulate a super cultural thing 
it was like a lot of pressure. So mm -hmm. I think all of those decisions were almost like life or death, but they counted. Yeah, one of the one of the greatest sources of validation I've gotten so far on like the my Instagram posts of your bike, mm -hmm. uh, just the sneak peeks, is that a lot of Japanese artists have liked it, ah. and I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, because you know you don't want to appropriate it entirely. <laughs> I don't want to like butcher like something. I don't. I don't want to like. I don't want to purport to have done something in a specific style and like totally fail at it. Mm and and not get it mm -hmm. so i mean it that was really cool and we studied a lot of the art and a lot of the aesthetic behind the art going into this to be like what the heck makes this look so good mm -hmm. why did they do it right like there's always intention in a lot of what the japanese do culturally so how do we how do we do that how do we harness that mm -hmm. um and that ended up shaping the entire composition of the art from the circles and how we laid those up to the way the flowers are designed, which are based on Japanese textiles that are indigo uh, patterns off of um, like kimonos Cherry that she had found online. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then just uh, like kind of really built it from there. Like all of these little components were tiny cultural things we draw it on from, from different areas of their art. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we ended up coming up with something that ended up we, we tried to have a pretty good balance of like minimal, but not, not empty, not right? Like and we, not too busy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. all of these components were fully separated. The circles, the flowers weren't included. The sayagata, which is the basket weave that's done in graphite. Yep. It wasn't like, it was all just components. Mm -hmm. And we and started trying to like understand how we can make this work. Mm -hmm. So we have different layers. We have the graphite basket weave underneath. Then we have the indigo circles. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Then we have cherry blossoms, plum flowers. Mm -hmm. And then the koi fish. The koi fish. We have gold leaf. Mm -hmm. which... The gold leaf is like, it, it almost reminds me, like the whole composition reminds me of like a moonlit pond with like flowers floating on top and fish. Raindrops yep. dropping yeah. shimmering. Something. We were yeah. trying to find that like yep. really beautiful nighttime, like kind of pond aesthetic that it ended up just being mm -hmm. and uh you know like think of like a fall type season when the flowers are falling and, and dropping into the water and like, yeah. we had to just kind of build this idea in our head mm -hmm. um of like some sort of like really zen tranquil scene mm -hmm. that wasn't like super foo-foo and overdone either mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then with the fork and stem you decided to go with an indigo theme Yes. So Sasha, you had some really interesting comments about the history of indigo in Japan and how when it first became really popular in the US, they wanted to emulate that, but a lot of people couldn't afford. Yeah. So that was, they were so expensive. That so. was again, I guess is all the adaptation is we had gotten like the mo the majority of your bike done with the brunt of the pattern that we did, which is this main test tile. And from there, we were really kind of stuck. We didn't want to do the fork in the same way. We felt like it was too much of the same. Mm. We looked there at the seat post. We thought it. it was too much mm. of the same. We were trying to not just saturate everything with the same monotonous, monotone, like 
theme. I wouldn't say any of this monotone, is monotonous or monotone. But, but it would have been like unrooted. Right. Like, like floating in space. Like yeah. Space floating yeah. in space. So how did we I make this yeah. from this composition to like a full interactive composition that complemented each other through all of the components on the bike? Mm. And you and I had had some discussions about this on terms of what to do with the rear triangle. Yeah. Because we couldn't translate what we were doing with the main triangle onto that. They're so small, it wouldn't the, work. The, stays, the seat stays are quite small. Right. The seat stays are pretty small. So, the seat stays are really small. You know, here we yeah. have the materials leading to some issues that we had to try to problem solve because mm. there was just no obvious solution. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, I think what we ended up doing, we went for some ciders and I was had, thinking about what to do. Had a good napkin brainstorming session. Yeah, ex yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, sitting in the sun, trying to figure it out. Again, just looking at content looking 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 trying Japanese to figure out what the heck to do again. and so. we, we started with the stays and, and uh what we were going to do with that and i think we kind of wanted that to be distinctly separate from the main triangle we wanted it to kind of be contrasty you said you wanted it to be bright but not detract from the rest of the art as well so and this was, again, one of those moments where she thought it was fully not possible. Yeah, I thought it was bullshit. I remembered because when I was quite young, I was always infatuated with Japanese smithing, just steel work and all of that. And I used to like always ogle at like the super old Japanese swords. And mm. I uh, remember looking at the hilt, which uh, the suba of the sword, which is the, the handguard before the blade. And I remember them doing the craziest, most ornate, beautiful things on them. Some of them were cut out and sculpted. Some of them had inlaid stuff. I started looking at the stuff and I was like, I found exactly what I thought I wanted for it. And I was like, Molly, what do you think of this? And what they had done is they had done a bunch of inlaid gold of like blossoms and patterns all around the, the suba of the sword. And, <laughs> and I was like, I can't do that. We've just been doing like these massive patches of gold leaf or random patches and float mm -hmm. things. And, um, and basically what he was asking me to do was very detailed artwork, except instead of painted, do the and artwork gold. in invisible, in invisible glue right. on an, a, a confusing, invisible background yeah. and know exactly where I was putting everything right. and then gild then, it. Yeah. Yeah. And we argued for a little bit, but both decided that it would probably be like the nicer thing for a contrast for the rear triangle, which, which I think in actuation was one of my favorite touches to the bike. Yeah, no, I think I, it's, that was beautiful. one of the coolest things mm -hmm. that we did was those cherry was those flowers, the cherry blossoms on the stays. Mm -hmm. So then we had the full completed bike minus the fork, the fork and the and other the components. So yeah. we were like, okay, yeah, what the heck post. here? So in, in contrast to like all the very delicate flousy like designs that are floating around on this bike we wanted something that was like kind of could could make it like cozy in the frame like make the frame cozy within all the in, all mm -hmm. the components right. and so and each step had to lead to the next step right that was like the the, the constant dilemmas we got the, re the main triangle done for the most part and we're like okay how do we tie this together what are we going to do on the back here so that it's not the same but it is the right move to accent it and then from there, okay, what are we going to do from here to now bring these two totally separate components together again? Mm -hmm. And each step had to allude to the next design element. And we didn't have that, that, that idea yet. We were 
trying to figure out what the right move was. Well, we had ideas beforehand, but they turned out to not they, be they, feasible. They were not going to look good. Yeah. We scrapped yeah. everything because yeah. in reality, what you see versus what mm -hmm. yeah. comes out is... When you see it on a, on a flat board versus when it's going onto the bike, there's just a translation that happens that like, no matter how good you are at like envisioning your mind, mm -hmm. what something's going to look like, there's there's always a, a transcription error. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's kind of what happened with the fork. So mm. um, so there were two trains of thought with the fork, right? Is we wanted it to be bolder and darker or like more stout than the rest of it because the rest was so elegant and dainty. Well, the components also like the shapes of the components and like the builds of those kind of made that mean something to be. Yeah. You, you can't have the resolution is small. So you need something yeah. that's bold for what you have to work with. And the other train of thought was, well, they're all distinctly different components from the frame. Mm -hmm. They're not Appleman branded. So we're so highlighting the frame so that we can have the frame be its own standalone piece. Mm -hmm. But it felt like a disservice to try to copy the same design onto the other components, which were not branded the same, which were mm -hmm. kind of essentially not as custom and artistically put together as the frame was itself. Um, because we felt like we owed some honor to Appleman in that way. I mean, we why would his we, name. Right, we go yeah. with his name is gold. <laughs> why did we want to do that on a stock Envy fork? It just didn't translate yeah. for us. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the logic there, we just, couldn't, we just couldn't make that work in our minds too. So knowing that we wanted it to all be different because it was not of the same, it, it wasn't a monocoque piece of like design, we started thinking of what to do and we came across like a couple of ideas for other textile patterns that were really bold mm -hmm. we were thinking of doing these like japanese flower patterns that were very geometric and repetitive like mm -hmm. this pocket um mm -hmm. but it just it just didn't seem right the repetitive it was it was like eye catching in a way that drew attention away from the bike and nothing worked so mm. we ended up um with this boro idea um, Tell people what a boro is. Yeah, so a boro is is a like a, a patchwork cloth. Sasha, do you want to tell the story of how boro, like what yeah, boro is? Yeah, super cool. Yeah. So for ages, I've loved denim, and I think that like really high end, super nice Japanese denim is world renowned for a reason. And I know I have a pair of jeans I've had for like ten years now. I bought that were Japanese, and they were new, and they just are the most distressed, awesome things at this point. They're torn. They're faded. You know, and I've just had them for so long that they have aged this way. Mm -hmm. And Turns out that's actually Japanese well, and it's aesthetic. intentional. Yeah. Um, the Japanese have always, even in their contemporary clothing brands, they've emulated this look with denim that they have a really, really like big cultural intimacy with. Um, so I was like, Molly, I think like, what about this? There's these really cool like patchwork, super distressed pieces of cloth that they use. And I've seen scarves and jackets like this. I've seen so much stuff like this. Like, why don't we emulate that? And what it is is called boro cloth, which I think literally translates to, and probably not going to say it right, but I think it literally translates to tattered or tattered cloth. And the whole story behind that is in the 1800s at the turn of the industrial revolution and kind of as japan was modernizing into like post world war one post and world war two times um people didn't have money so they had work clothes they were torn they would patch it 
and they'd get torn and they would patch it and they'd get torn and they would patch it and they would keep patching the same piece of cloth over and over and over until it was mostly patched and distressed mm -hmm. more than it was less, a piece of clothing or piece. what it started. Yeah. And like everything in some of those realms of culture, they took it to another extent and it wasn't just like a hand-me-down tattered thing. They turned it into artwork and so, so they stitched it with these uh, beautiful ornate beautiful. patterns yeah. that mm -hmm. were called sashiko. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful white threading that is repetitive traditional Japanese patterns in these different patches, all isolated, sometimes sewing some stuff together. Mm -hmm. And in the end, you have this really like distressed, beautiful mess of fabrics that was like basically destroyed and then brought back into this like total balance between like you know, something elegant and like high end seeming or so intentional, but also like completely amorphous and organic. Mm -hmm. And it just like seemed to fit because it was so bold. It did fit. And mm -hmm. it was super distinct. And I thought it was a really cool way to like frame what we had already going on that was really elegant and a little bit more daintier. Mm -hmm. And it worked. We were trying to figure out basically how to do it on the carbon. And I think we hit the nail on the head. Yeah, we ended up using like spatulas and razor blades and like all these different things to kind of like scrape texture into the paint. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just used a really fine brush and I like stitched, you know, in quotes, um, the sashiko what right the sashiko top. would be. Mm -hmm. And um, for, for some of the other designs on there, I tried to make it look like it was dyed indigo, like wax relief dyed indigo by like kind of bleeding some of these patterns into the paint. So. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's definitely worth looking for people who are interested what some yeah. of these older Boro cloth fabrics look like. Cause there's beautiful. full gowns in them, jackets and workwear, scarves, like really cool stuff. And it's- And it's like history in textile. Incredible. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, it's, and it's also really indicative of like, a very distinct cultural period in Japan as well, which is, um, I think, part of why a lot of really high-end contemporary Japanese clothing brands are also emulating that current day as mm -hmm. an homage to this super important period in Japanese culture. So it just seemed like the perfect thing. And it was a fun switch up because we didn't have to be precise. Yeah. yeah. We, it's, it's a good juxtaposition because there's so much precision and, yeah. and and organization and right answers in the frame. And then you can juxtapose it with something that that is less like precise. The whole idea of Boro is that it's circumstantial. Mm. Like you have you don't know where the next rip and tear is going to be in your your Boro cloth that's taking decades to make. And so mm. um, you know, because of that, the patches are out of necessity and thus must be random in some way. Mm. Um, so it was really nice and refreshing to kind of like access that like random generator mm -hmm. in your mind that's like, okay, like don't make this ordered because you're intentionally right. doing Which this. Which was a whole but... thing is at first it looked like a quilt. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So we got into an argument because it looked like a quilt. It looked a little bit too intentional. Like I was putting all the pieces together in this organized way. Mm. And so I had to like switch off the, the tear the, down the organization order generator in, yeah. in my mind to yeah. be like, okay, like avoid any patterns, 
Like uh-huh. <laughs> avoid making these patterns in because that's what your mind wants to do. It just wants to put things next to each other or in a line or in a circle. Yes. Super and, refreshing. So with the fork, yeah. we started doing it and then we sanded something off and then painted over it mm-hmm. and then scraped, scraped with a razor mm-hmm. and then painted over that and then, and then distressed yeah. it. And it was this this really awesome binary to the really monotonous tedium that was some of the other portions of the bike because it was a huge amount of space we could fill relatively quickly and there was no wrong answer we screwed it up and we're like cool let's work with it Mm -hmm. you know let's keep going and see what looks right and i think that juxtaposition is what makes it work Mm. yes Mm -hmm. fully yeah because otherwise i think you would have gotten your bike and it would have been so saturated with order that it would have no Uh, no place to be mm-hmm. and like yeah so i think that that really kind of grounded the design in some way it was definitely mm-hmm. a good ebb and flow and i think it translated yeah. and we started with the fork and we mocked it up we just kind of sat the frame together <laughs> and like took a step to back like, and yeah. we're like no, no that'll we think work that's we that'll think work. that's right yeah. we hope he likes it because it's <laughs> got a lot of texture and it's yeah. super different well that's yeah. why we, we texted you or we, we called you and we were like do you mind if your fork is like not uh, smooth and technically arrow. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever, <laughs> that works. That. Well, then that's, that's something <laughs> it's that, not an arrow bike. No, something to do. It's a clean bike. Maybe the pebbles, you know, the pebble texture makes it more. Arrow. Well, actually <laughs> it does. It does. Ridley, yeah. As, so I, told, as I told you, Ridley yeah. does that. So, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but that was, you know, also another aspect of the process too, that can kind of elaborate on for a, a hot second is we had a lot of input and we showed Colby a lot of, the test tiles and what we were thinking about mm-hmm. and what he wanted and definitely didn't want. And then at one point we had a conversation and we wanted to actually just cut you out of it at that point. Mm-hmm. Cause there was like the, the initial like mock-ups and we're like, all right, we know the direction. Now let's like, just see where it goes. Right. Like let's get amorphous mm-hmm. with it. Let's see what happens. We don't know what's going to happen. And almost like, you know, it was a collaboration and then it was time for Molly to kind of do some of the dance and just figure mm-hmm. out what worked. And that ended up, you know, kind of coming to fruition in terms of how the Kintsugi seams on the stencils went to how the Boro came together. And we really wanted to like balance and weigh and also not be just contracted. Yeah, there's a car alarm. There's, there's the car, car alarms. Like a truck backing oh, up yeah. into a car. <laughs> Um, but, you know, we didn't want to just have like contract paint service and be like, give us the art and we'll copy it because right. that's boring. Go get a decal or a printout and somebody will put that on a problem. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting, like good detail because it, it kind of carries over to like what our approach will be to painting other people's bikes. Um, that was exactly where I wanted to go next. Yeah, yeah. because... Like, you know, with, with your design, like we consulted with you like a lot at the beginning mm-hmm. and we came up with a design together. I made some test tiles. We showed you the test tiles. We kind of checked in with you about stuff that we wanted to do. And then we kind of like went with that mm-hmm. and carried it through. And, and you know, um, like Sasha was saying, like, I don't think any of our designs are going to be like a, you know, you know how it's like almost a little bit insulting for a tattoo artist if you just draw the design and tell them to put it on your body right and some people There's, will do that and some people but do yeah that, when but you like, go to an artist you usually want their art for some reason yeah there's capacity. a reason why you're choosing them to do it and yep. so like yep. you know in some ways like we'll we'll do like a um a like big consultation especially for like the level of complexity that your bike is mm. and you know kind of 
figure out like what works, almost psychoanalyze like the aesthetic that you're looking for mm-hmm. and keep true to that as we go through. And also because we can't plan it all necessarily no, we as can't. we've talked I mean, about, there's, right? There's no way to do that, especially translating from a flat surface. So there's light. that expectation to be had is no matter what you think you want, like you it don't might know not what work. You think you want. And whatever <laughs> your bike is might yeah. not work for that. Right. And whatever, however it shapes up, like we've completely erased parts yeah. and been like, that just doesn't look good. There was somebody who at some point potentially wanted a design and he wanted me to do this like comic book character Mm. and i'm from like the discussion that we had had this person wanted exactly what he wanted Mm -hmm. and only exactly what he wanted and i didn't feel comfortable like saying yes to it because i didn't know that i could execute that in a way that was like real and good like satisfactory to you yeah, yeah. Well, because yeah. Also, like, it's not then it's not like you know there's a there's a reason why certain things work on bikes and certain things don't yeah. and i don't want to force something well, and i think one of the bike. biggest shticks is about what you do and what we do when we kind of design this stuff is it's really adaptive and organic yeah um, for sure. even if it's the most geometric thing or not yeah it's so organic even that if you just somebody should want that right like mm-hmm. that's the whole point is to have this thing that is f- completely transformational and you couldn't expect it to be what it is it's mm-hmm. beyond that yeah and i think that's built into the process so to for speak sure, yeah otherwise you just get another factory paint job mm-hmm. so so i think that's the ideal client for you as someone who has some elements that they want, mm-hmm. they want a theme. They have maybe specifics, specific colors, specific shapes, specific patterns, animal creatures, unicorn, rainbows, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they can say, here's my wish list. And then you have that back and forth where you guys start to put it into a cohesive format that will take that 2D idea or that mental representation, which is really probably 4D, and translate it to a 3D bicycle service, which is a very complex canvas like we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And and then let the person has to understand that there is an organic aspect to that entire creative process that will result in a product that no no one can really say exactly what it'll look like until, until you build up the bike and you will ride it for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's part of the adventure. So if you, if you have, I think you were very wise Molly to see that this client, maybe it sounds like his vision was um, quite clear to the point that the end product will only meet a certain standard if it specifically met his vision. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily what your process is, for sure. which is cool. And that's one reason why we didn't want to show you the bike until the end. Also, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I think that as we, you know, if we were to give you like update photos as we kept going, you would have had evolving ideas of what mm-hmm. the bike would look like. And then just because of how like your brain works, right? You would fill in the blank portions of mm-hmm. it with something that you thought of. And when you don't get that same thing, because we have different minds and we're mm-hmm. working in different different trajectories, then you find something that's different than what you thought about. And so- And dis- that's either disappointment or surprise, uh-huh. good or bad. Good right? or bad. Right. Uh-huh. And Potentially. I think, mm-hmm. I think it's, potent- it's also like compoundingly interesting because we're also trying to like break the mold of what we, we can even conceptualize. Mm-hmm. And we have- like a number of ways we're trying to do that, e.g. through the R or even through materials. Like materials. Um, you know, yeah. One consideration we had for your bike and we just couldn't make it look good in our minds when we actuated it. Um, but we, you know, fully plan on using is 
um, abalone and mother of pearl laminated mm -hmm. onto bikes mm -hmm. and how to work that in in a way that is both like aesthetically pleasing and beautiful and elegant but also you know like so distinct and that's a whole like different rabbit hole to go down right but you know we have ideas to use and laminate like pressed flowers and botanicals onto a bike mm -hmm. and then clear coat over those so you literally have a botano bike which mm -hmm. has been a proper bike <laughs> which yeah. we've had a, uh -huh. you know, we've had that idea for several years yeah. we want to do uh, laminated do stones and, you know yeah. so like mm -hmm. so much of this stuff and trying to like push the envelope of even the materials means there's so much unknown mm -hmm. and even like case by case how to use the material in a different way how we use the gold on your bike mm -hmm. was completely different than how we use the gold on my bike. Uh -huh. And it was now he's jealous. three steps up for sure. <laughs> because we just didn't have the ability when we were doing it on my bike to be as precise. And even though we wanted to, so that was an adaptation doing mm -hmm. the gilding on your seat stays, which are really ornate and beautiful to learning yeah. how to do the floaties in the water on the main bike. It was all just such an adaptive and like organic thing we don't also know how some of the materials are going to shape up in response to what the specific design is. Yeah. Yeah. And considering that we are like always thinking about like what materials can have never been used, what materials will give us something that's like just a different direction to go. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to give anybody a true expectation of where things can go. So that's, that's part of the journey with the client. Yeah. Right. right. To part of that journey engage. has to be letting go. Yeah, and control a little bit. And I think yeah. there's going to be different extents of that, though, that we'll offer. And yeah. so that's mm -hmm. the next aspect of kind of how we hope to maybe market some of the painting to peoples is, you know, what we did for you is definitely like the highest tier of what we can do because mm -hmm. it was the most thought out and orchestrated and engineered and every move counted how thick the bands were that separated each one of your tubes and whether there were two or three mm -hmm. and how like thick they were in width and in, and in depth and actual mm -hmm. 3d depth all mattered i repainted right? it like six or seven times yeah, just like, to get the, the the right separation distance yeah. between the the lines so all of that is yeah. the most bespoke thing we can do mm -hmm. and, and this and was the first bike you guys seracoded Yes. yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So Cerakote is a like diamond Shout hard. Shout out to yeah. for being totally awesome. It's as, it's as hard as quartz, basically, and yeah. uh, so that protects all the hard work. Mm -hmm. And it's only 0.2 of a millimeter thick, yeah. so like incredibly thin. Adds almost yeah. no weight. So it was a, it was really really brilliant solution. Yeah. Brilliant yeah. solution sure. to something that was an utter failure prior. Yeah, the urethane mm. based. It was like a show paint, and it was delicate for like classic class. cars and stuff. Yeah. They don't need. Right. To be abrasive. We need abrasive. bikes to be ridden in the real right. world. Like, yeah. I mean, I suppose you could have a customer who could build a bike like this, build a bike and ask you to paint it, and then they could put it in their collection and never ride it. That's possible. But sure. we want people to know that they can actually use the bikes right. in the real yeah. world and oh. change flat tires and do all the things that bikes have to do. Right? That's one of the things that was really appealing to me with this bike painting stuff. Like what you were saying is like when you see fine art, you see it in a museum. But one really cool thing, and like this might just be my like overly practical oh, engineering no, brain, time. but like you want to like I don't I don't want to just go to a museum to see art only. Like What's I right? want to have it and like see it and use it. Have it in daily life. Yeah, like Sasha bought me this like beautiful Japanese knife with like a malachite handle and stuff, yeah. and I use that every day. Right. And maybe like mm -hmm. you shouldn't because you don't want to ruin the thing. But like, I want to use it. I want to interact I, with it. We have this discussion all the time because she buys some things and she'll save them. She tucks them away. She's mm -hmm. like, well, I don't want to 
I'm, I'm just doing, around the house. Yeah. The cat's going to get hair on it or claw me when she jumps off or I'm going to spill, you know, oil on it when I cook or whatever. And I'm, I completely appreciate that perspective. But on the other hand, I want to use mm -hmm. the things that I love. And right. I also use Japanese knives to cut my steak every night. Like my wife bought me three Japanese knives and now the rest of the knives just sit there because yeah. I always want to use this knife because I appreciate it so much. Mm -hmm. I just, there's just joy in that tool. Right? Yeah. But even so. if it gets worn out, I, I want to use it because it's there and it's Great. like, that's I part of the art it. anyway. And yeah. part of the experience of life mm -hmm. for sure. So I think that mm -hmm. that's like, that's cool in that way. Um, so we have kind of different levels of what we hope to do and Part of that has come through practicality in terms of figuring out how to do some things that don't take 150 hours. Yes, um, which is your not, estimate of time on my frame. That's not business with a feasible. With, a, with yeah. a lot of learning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so essentially we've kind of thought about it and, you know, we have these designs and things we've been practicing where we can do a paint job and start to finish, maybe get it done in like two weeks. Mm -hmm. And it's spontaneous, really effective. Um, you know, some of it can be pretty orchestrated and like really cool. And we have a lot of different designs and ideas for that. Like the Boro, yeah. for instance, we could do a whole bike in that and it would take maybe a week, a week and a half to finish the actual painting portion. And then there's just some prep and some finishing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like and this is so amorphous. We can do this a hundred different ways. We can do it in different palettes, colors, shapes, sizes, etc. And there's no right or wrong answer. There's individual elements to the, the really high-end designs that we've done so far that can be bikes entirely of, on their own. Because it's concept because art. They're, yeah, because it's it's just beautiful. Like, I mean, this on a whole bike would be so striking. This yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, super cool. Or like koi fish on, on yeah. interlocking circles or something like that. So um, there's so much of that that the reason we kind of have tried to do some of these more testy pieces is to really see what we can do and like test the high end and then like obviously a trickle down effect right mm -hmm. so we have some things and ideas for designs where we can bust it out in oh, two weeks three weeks and you know ultimately like hopefully we have clients who just want something amazing they can give us a general Here's a color palette. Here's some cool stuff. Yeah. And it's something fully like, at our whim. Like, let, mm -hmm. you know, Molly will let sit down with it and just go to town and put something awesome together. Mm -hmm. And then we hope to have like in the next tier of that where there's more orchestration, there is a little bit more input. We do some consultations, but really it's we're still just going to get bit. at it mm -hmm. and do what we want with more feedback. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be, you know, a little bit more of a process, probably take a little bit more. That's when we start really adding like some of the really ornate geometry, some of the higher end materials and so on. Tier two designs would like add an element or two more as far as like the composition goes and, you know, thus take more time and effort with yeah. a little bit more input from, from the client. Whereas the tier one is like, you know, I want something that kind of looks like this and go have at it yeah and yeah. you know okay. make something striking and and Tier not two is necessarily more simple input, but like for sure yeah just more client input stuff. okay different materials mm -hmm. that cost a little bit more um mm -hmm. and a little bit more meditated on right like yeah. tier one we would probably like inspiration of the moment you know give us some general feedback you can tell mm -hmm. us what direction you want but mm -hmm. we're gonna go at it yeah. and it'll be something that was completely spontaneous but freaking epic yeah um and then then there's tier three like what okay. you have and, and i think that the 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 real thing about tier three is that every tier three bike that we do 
will probably be the best bike we have ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, you know, it's just like pushing our limits, figuring out what we can do. Like, you know, your, your bike, for example, like push the limits of what we could do even beyond what Sasha's bike was. Mm-hmm. And the next one will be probably better. do the same. Yeah. And so and even really that testing what yeah. we can do with the materials that we've never done, how to design and compose and do the most ornate of things that we couldn't have thought of before. And like really just trying to be visionary in it. And mm-hmm. in the same way that car companies have concept cars, they yeah. will never make it to production. And they're just look at what we did because we could. Yeah. And that's really what that level was for us with your bike. Yeah. What it was with us for my bike mm-hmm. was we're doing it just to see if we can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and those are designs that are going to take like multiple months to do. Yeah, I mean, if we can bust it out in two months, that's that's, that's awesome. You know? It's for the patient because clients. It's, it's yeah. for somebody who's not in a hurry to get the bike back. For sure. Yeah, yeah. For somebody yeah. who wants something that is like the highest extension of themselves and the highest culmination of what we can conceive of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's fun, right? Like it's some of the most exciting because mm-hmm. man you get so intimate with it and you just really have to like engineer the heck out of every element of it mm-hmm. to find out again what's the right choice yeah it's a giant puzzle yeah you know i think we could probably do a couple of those a year truly for the people who would want it and yeah. we'll always be trying to do those for ourselves and test pallets yeah. and our personal yeah. bikes just because we have them to use as canvases um but you know, it's it's not practical, it's not feasible, it's not gonna make us any money to do that. It's because somebody wants something that is exceptional and beyond what anything, you know, beyond what they could imagine with all the input that they could have. Yeah. And, you know, a challenge. Yeah. So that's kind of the fun of that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I've got to wrap it up. Uh, I've got to go ride with a client here. Yeah. So, but thank you guys so much for everything. Thanks for painting my bike, my Appleman. Thanks for giving us an amazing canvas. Yeah, thank you, Appleman, for not tainting your (laughs) stuff with a bunch of (laughs) factory paint that looks like another factory paint. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, So T and Entropy, is that an active website right now? So it will be entropy-designs.com. Okay. I am almost done, like, building the website, and uh, it should be public pretty soon. Okay. Final. Yeah. I'll be actual, right out there, Don. Final actual name okay. is Entropy Designs. Yeah. As the company, Entropy Designs would be yeah. the final name. Okay. Uh, T and Entropy was her cool, playful muse of a of a name that is still her still personified. Like it, yeah. Then. <laughs> um, so Entropy Designs, and um, yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah. Hopefully awesome. We'll get some photo shoots of Colby with his bike. Yeah. Um, right. Bikes being look forward being built to, look right forward now. to that. Shorts. It is fully required that he wears. Short, short jean shorts for the photo shoot. Um, so anybody that wants to see some nice legs and tan lines. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. Um, as one of my teachers, Michael Holt, has said, he is on a mission to uh, liberate the male thigh, the male quadricep. Because <laughs> in cycling, we tend to hide those things. Oh, no. Yes. Hate it. I like to pull it down I miss, the knees. I like the old vintage short shorts all the way up there. Yeah. All the old cyclists, they look yeah. great. Why do you want to ride a bike if you don't want to show off the muscles that you used to do it, guys? Come on. Show them off. All right. Cool. Thanks very much, guys. That was awesome. All right. Appreciate it. Epilogue. I want to share a few brief thoughts about 
the inception of cycling and alignment. The purpose of this podcast is for me to get three and a half decades of hard fought lessons out of my skull. Some of them through my own research and reading. Some of them I've been taught through mentors and colleagues, other riders, other racers. A lot of it, a massive amount of it was simply trial and error through my own stubborn methods. And that has amassed a certain amount of experience and knowledge, understanding. And while I think I'm reasonably smart and I know quite a bit of stuff, I want to make it clear that the opinions that I share on this podcast are belief systems built on what I've experienced to this point. And that some of those opinions are pretty strong, but they are also loosely held. That is to say that if I learn more about a topic and have a greater level of clarity or understanding, then my old belief systems will be abandoned and I will now operate under that newfound knowledge. So I'm not here to tell people all the things that I know. I'm here to explain what I've learned to this point. And there's a big difference. Also, that is the intent when I discuss things on the pod with guests is to learn from them and have a discourse. Because if we can't have a discourse as adults, then we've lost one of the basic tenets of modern society. Even if we disagree, we ought to be able to, in most cases, shake hands and walk away. Because after all, this is sport we're talking about. And while sport is training for life, it's nothing to get too upset over. The purpose of the podcast is to help me help other people and specifically to help them actualize their highest potential by illuminating a path that enables alignment with their truth, their intent and their coherence. That's really the end goal. So I'm grateful for your listening. My intent is also not to be clear to gain an audience or become popular or gain social status in any way. I don't care about that stuff. That said, if you feel an episode that you have heard will help someone you know, please share it with them. That helps us reach the end goal, which is to help more people. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for your time and attention. Blessings. Blessings.